Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Welcome to the Candid Frank Live Show, Leaf Talk Edition. With Candid Frank and David Morrison. Let's talk hockey. Everybody, I'm Candid Frank, and at the other microphone is David Morissuti, and we're here to talk about the Maple Leafs. And maybe we might even talk about generalities as far as uh, the NHL playoffs are concerned. Yep, we're uh, down to the short strokes of the season. In fact, the Leafs have two games left to play, and the way they've been playing lately, David, I'm not sure we want to watch them play the last two games. I. I... <laughs> This is always the toughest part of the season to watch because, you know, as you say, final stretch, team is just looking forward to the playoffs. And it's almost like in any sport, when a team is in the playoffs or has their, pretty much their place in set, the effort is not, you're not going to get the effort you expect to get throughout the season. And then, of course, the, there's the explanation, excuse, you know, making Leafs fans feel better. The, you know, when they made the playoffs yesterday, or the, the day before, actually, and the game yesterday was a direct reflection of maybe an emotional letdown because of the achievement. And there were two achievements that night. I think the most important achievement was uh, that Tavares had a great game, one that he could be proud of, and basically the victory by the Leafs over the Islanders, I think, was the more important thing because it was a big game that they were able to win. You know, as much as it sounds like I'm talking about it being because of Tavares, but I mean the team looked terrible against the Islanders the last time, two times they played. They looked really good, and of course, they clinched a playoff spot. And those two things, I guess, 
is a high you come down off, right? And the difference, uh, well, let me leave it, leave it there and let you jump in on that. How, how do you feel about that situation with the Islander game? And, um, and, and does it explain why they played so terribly against Carolina? Because they really did look bad. Yeah, I, I mean, considering the Leafs had missed the last two opportunities to clinch the playoffs, this was like, a, okay, like, we missed two chances. you got to get it done. Because then you're getting into a situation where, you know, Montreal is going to be fighting until the very end of the season. So this was their chance. And, you know, if they knew that they messed, they, they really let down Tavares the last time they played New York. So they owed it not only to themselves to try to get that playoff spot locked up, but they owed it to him to say, okay, we really crapped Indeed. the best last time, and they needed to do better. Indeed. Indeed. And indeed. They, uh, the Maple Leafs, and of course Tavares and company, let's get right away, let's go right away and talk about the games we can talk about a lot of other interesting stuff. In the context of the playoffs on Wednesday, they played Philadelphia. They lost uh, 5-4. A game that the Leafs, once again, they look good, but not, you know, not long enough to win. No, that was a frustrating game because the first period, they looked pretty good. Second and third period, especially the second period, it's like when you have a, like, um, like a bad like, pickle or something. Like, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Like, that left a bad taste in my mouth, considering, um, you know, over time, they had their chances. I know he uh, he knows that, but no, like to miss that was a chance. I mean, they got the point, but that was a game where you you're not happy with how it ended because you know how they looked at the start and they were just inconsistent after that. And if you're to analyze the game behind the game, or you know. I would I would also suggest that that was a game where Philadelphia knew they weren't going to make the playoffs. It was looking very clear like they weren't going to make the playoffs. And, in fact, if they'd lost that game, they wouldn't have made the playoffs. Again, you know, this is the time of year where, where teams uh, come at a game in a far – it can be a very different perspective. You know, uh, for example, uh, yesterday Tampa, right, had an important game. They lost. And how much of that was the fact that the other team needed the win, that being Montreal, and they didn't? You know, you can't really judge how the teams are playing right now. You really can't. Uh, these games are, as much as we'd like to think they're really important and, and talk about reasons why they're important, because just like at this time of year when teams are not eliminated from the playoffs, but they're very close to being eliminated from the playoffs. The only reason they're around is because it's mathematically possible. So, you know, the, the hunger and, and the consistency of a team, it's all over the map with every team. You know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why a team will come to the game not prepared emotionally, not prepared physically, not prepared with manpower. Um, and the games are like that. So not to... Not not to help Leaf fans not worry, 
But there really isn't that much to worry about other than, I repeat again, like I do every week now when we talk about the playoffs, all that matters is how ready they are at the drop of the puck. It'll be in Boston. It'll probably be on Thursday. And it'll be at 7.05 if they're ready. God, I hate saying this because the coach says it all the time. They really do have to start on time and be there for 60. It's that simple. Everything else that happens between now and then isn't relevant if it doesn't have a definite impact on what happens when the puck gets dropped on Thursday. And one of the things that could affect it is injury. More than the way they're playing right now, the health of the team going in, the emotional state of the team, to that extent how they play is relevant. You don't really want to be, you know, like Nylander, you know, 16 games without a goal and go into the playoffs. But here's the thing. It's really neat. If he goes in working hard, you know, and doesn't do what he's done so far, you know, it could be okay for him and okay for a lot of the other league players, Dave. Yeah, I mean, th- this is the thing. I, they know that this is they're playing Boston. This is something that they are going to be pushing towards and preparing for. I think maybe that's why we're not – they're so focused on that that right now nothing really else matters to them. But I, I, I the last two – I mean, any game I watched least against Boston and they, and they lost. Like, these are the ones they lose where – Boston just takes over right away and the Leafs just are in a position where they can't come back. This is what this is what Babcock's message is, is if we don't start on time, as he says it, then Boston will eat you alive. And that's going to be... But the you don't want to chase the game with them. You don't, you don't want to chase the game with them. Yeah, no, you, you can't. And really, no team should want to be chasing the game. Like, there's not many teams a lot of the playoff hockey is supposed to be close, tight. Any yes. pretty much each team has a chance. Once you get over a, uh, once you get into a situation where, um, you know, one team is clearly dominating, you're in a bad position. So to to put us back on on the on on track against Philadelphia, that's the kind of game you expect in the playoffs. The kind of game you don't expect in the playoffs if you want to have a chance to win was the next game they played against Ottawa. Now, it was much better than the 6-2 loss, but it still was a 4-2 loss, and they still did not look very good. They were not sharing in the possession of the puck. They were not sharing in the opportunities to score, and the ice seemed a little bit tilted. That in itself is, is what's scary when you watch. But again... It's a game where you've got a team that's playing their playoffs right now. They're playing, you know, the coach is coaching for next year because, you know, Crawford is a candidate for next year, you know, so he's, he's coaching for a job. And, of course, needless to say, the rest uh, of the people behind that bench, the other coaches and the, the players, they're playing and working for a job as well, whereas the Leafs are in a position where, eh, you know, meh, you know, and, and – and that's the truth. But again, it all matters what happens when the puck drops on Thursday. In this game, what did you see that was not um, good news for the Leafs? The fact that they couldn't generate much and they were bottled up too easily by uh, Ottawa? 
Well, I will say this. They did have, in the first period, they outshot them 18 to 7. So I like their start. Um, but uh, Anderson, what happened was, I felt in that game, Ottawa was clearly playing like a neutral zone trap, which we all know is a boring style of hockey that, you know, the. That works well against the Leafs. That works well against the Leafs. I felt like, you know, the Leafs ran into a hot goalie in Anderson. Like, Anderson plays well against the Leafs in Ottawa. Like, that seems to be just a pattern for him. Um, What I felt was disappointing was, you know, I felt like the Leafs did control the play way better than the first game where they lost 6-2. It was the slight, you know, a turnover led to a scoring chance that went in the net. And Garrett Sparks just did not, you know, there were some goals where you're just like, you got to make the save. Like, when your team, I think there was one point the Leafs were out shooting Ottawa 17-2 or 17-3. And Ottawa scores a goal not too long after. Like, when your team is playing that, you know, getting those chances and they're just not getting it past the goalies, you, as the backup, you have to stand your ground and not give your team any, you know, any sort of idea that, or any thought that you're not, you know, you're not going to be solid for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that that's a major concern. The other thing that the, the Leafs can or cannot do is spend much time getting used to their lineup. Now, uh, up front, up front, it seems like, okay, we've got our four lines, we roll them and all that kind of stuff. The problem is, and, and this is a problem that, that I see a possibility, you know, when Jake Gardner comes back, as we move along uh, w- with uh, what might help the Leafs look better against teams like Ottawa or playing, uh, you know, against teams like Ottawa, Jake Gardner is not healthy yet. He's going to be healthy. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Gardner, I mean, we don't know exactly what the issue is. I mean, they're saying it's a back injury. Um, I guess because they feel like they had time and they have bodies, they could let him rest. And and we had a conversation with him, just get him mentally and physically ready to go. I'm curious, though, as you're, you're bringing this up, like who comes out? I mean, it's probably going to have to be Rosen because you're not taking a guy like Jake Muzzin out. Um, Gardner doesn't play the right side. So maybe unless you're moving somebody to the right side, I don't see that happening. So uh, that, that's, that's the part. Like, you know, I look at a guy like Zaitsev, you know, he's still not, in my opinion, I'm not still comfortable with him in the lineup. Um, Dermot coming back, helps a lot because you're not playing, you know, a guy like Martin Merchant who's clearly overmatched when he's in the lineup. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how that changes or how, what happens when Garner uh, comes back, which could be on Thursday. And, and the reason I brought the Gardner thing up is because of the game against Ottawa, that they need somebody. That's where the defense, as good as Callie Rosen can be, and and we you know we can we can literally pencil him in for next year as as a you know the third pair one of the third paired defensemen. The thing of it is is that 
Jake Gardner, they need him. They need somebody that can skate the puck out of the zone. And against Ottawa, he would have been a very big asset. And, and that's where he is going to come in handy. That's why I mentioned him. In the case of the kind of game that Ottawa played, they needed him. The next game, they, they beat the Islanders 2-1. We glossed over it a little bit. Uh, they clinched and all that stuff. The team played a very committed, aggressive style, the kind of style you expect them to pay, play in the playoffs. When they do that, when, they're, when they use their speed to take time and space away from the opposition, it may not be your typical you know, physical defensive style. But still, it is a defensive style. And will that style, do you think, translate into success in the playoffs like we saw with the Islanders, that kind of defense? Because that's the kind it was. It was more using speed to cut you know, time and space away from the opposition and get on the defense quickly. Not hit them, but get on them. Yeah, I mean, the Islanders, we know, are a very aggressive forechecking team, especially with their forwards. So what's the best way to counter that is that you transition quickly and try to pick up the mismatches. So that's why a guy like Gardner and Rosen thrives more against those type of teams because they're quick to move the puck. They'll move the puck themselves if there's not an option. So I'm uh, I'm curious to see. I mean, that's the type of – I think we're least going to see more of that style of defense from a team like Boston, you know, very up in your face. And when I look back at what happened last year in the playoffs, that's where the Leafs got, uh, got exposed a little bit because they couldn't move that puck quickly in their zone. They got heads in their own zone, and then bang, bang, boom, it's in the back of the net. So with the Islanders, uh, that kind of uh, commitment will be very helpful in the playoffs. Uh, how they played against Carolina, they really looked disinterested. Talked a little bit about the fact that just maybe you win, you know, you you get your you get your playoff position and, and the emotions drop a little bit. Any more to add about that game? We talked a little bit about it already. I mean, the great thing is that Tavares thought that goal against the former team. He felt, you know, I think he, for him it was just good to get that, uh, you know. Just get that for him. He needed that. And, yeah, I mean, Anderson looked good to me as well. You know, full speed. He hadn't had a game where he allowed less than four goals in a game, so that was big for him as well. Then we have Tampa Bay coming up, one of the the first of the last two games, Uh, a team that is resting players, a team that their number one defenseman. We're not sure what his health is like. Um, you know, the injury isn't being discussed by Tampa. He's their number one defenseman. He's not playing. Um, he is a key factor. Uh, he won't be playing against the Leafs. Uh, will it make a difference? And if that difference is the Leafs being able to shut down a really potent offense with a, you know, a defenseman that contributes to it out, how important is this game to the Leafs? What you said a moment ago is what I think is important and that is the goaltending of Anderson in this yeah, game. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would say this game, the next two games more so for Anderson just to mentally and just make sure that he's feeling good. 
Um, let's see, if any players that are going to, I know Babcock is going to consider making, you know, putting guys in different spots just to rest some guys. He's discussed that. Uh, and remember, the last time the Leafs played the Lightning, it was a laughing matter for the Lightning. They were <laughs> they were pretty much uh, having their way with the Leafs. So for the Leafs, you don't want uh, anybody to have that idea that you can't handle a team like the Lightning. So for them, they, they should want this game to be a close game in that regard, too. I mean, that game against Carolina wasn't good. So really, they have to come out and so that, you know, they can step up if they need to. I mean, I'm, if they, whether they win or lose, it doesn't matter at this point. It's more of just, you know, there's some guys that need to have, you know, just that mental uh, preparation going into the playoffs. And for Gardner, you know, the last two games he's supposed to play, there's word that he might play. He wore the dark jersey today, so that means that he's going to be available to play, and we know he's going to. So really what we're talking about here then is we're talking about this is an important game for Gardner to get into the rhythm of playing again because, you know, uh, being in shape uh, without playing is not the same kind of shape you need to play. And, of course, we talked about Anderson. And, of course, the opportunity for some players who haven't been accustomed to be playing a lot of ice time, maybe getting a little more at the same time players who normally get more ice time might be getting less. So this is an opportunity for players to get up to speed more than the team to get up to speed, David. I think that's where we're at with those with those two games that are left. Yeah, I mean, we know that Jake Muzzin has been dealing with an illness, Andreas Johnson as well. So for them, it's like, do you need to see them play? No, you just want to make sure that they're, they're healthy. So that's what it is. Yeah, you're right. It's, you know, if something happens, we know playoff, in the playoffs, a fluke injury, the guy gets really sick. You need someone ready to step in. Uh, we saw when uh, in that first game when both Dermott and Gardner were out, the lead defense was lost. So you, this is a big part of you know just having that time available to you now, the opportunity to prepare for that. In that final game against Montreal, they could be playing for a cup of coffee, but still just because of the excitement of the fans in the stands and actually the excitement of the players and the history and, you know, the pomp and circumstance, all the different reasons that make this always a great game. Then maybe, just maybe, add to that that Montreal needs this game to to make it into the playoffs. It's going to make that game pretty exciting, A, a great emotional game to prepare you for the playoffs. Oh, 100%. I mean... If you're a person, even if you're a person watching the game, I mean, uh, I don't know how nostalgic people get, but this is going to be Bob Cole's last Hockey Night in Canada broadcast. That's right. So there's going to be, you know, it's going to have that sort of feel to it. Um, in in the past couple of seasons, you know, Montreal and Toronto haven't had a game that meant a lot. Actually, it's been a really long time since Toronto Montreal played a regular ending of the regular season that actually meant something. I would say almost 11 years ago when both the Leafs and Canadians were looking to make the playoffs from last day. So, I mean, for Montreal, if that's the case, uh, it could be a good thing for the Leafs. Um, whether they want to put themselves in that situation, we'll see. Um, 
So whether they want to actually try to match Montreal, you know, that intensity, yeah, intensity. Because, um, you know, take a look at the Calgary Flames the other day. They scratched almost half their lineup against the Kings because those games tend to get out of hand, and you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you lose a good player because of a team that doesn't really mean a lot to your team. So that's it's understandable. It's very understandable. You're right. It's understandable. It's not. You know, it, it's not. It's, that doesn't smack of professionalism, but it smacks of reality, because ultimately, it's about you know risk and reward, right? Why have a bunch of risk when there's no reward? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, in about in the NBA, they do that. Like star players decide, I'm not playing against this team because I mean the Raptors doing that with Kawhi Leonard because. Why risk injuring yourself in a game that doesn't mean anything for your team? Uh, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And then if a guy does get injured, God forbid, you know, knock on wood, you know, then the coach has to answer for that. And then the GMs will absolutely. not be too happy either. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So the game against Montreal may be very important. It'll be the last game in the schedule, a very tough road for Montreal. Their last few games are going to be really tough against opposition that will want to win and are good teams. It'll be a very interesting finish for them. Let's talk a little bit about just a little here. I'd like to, an old uh, friend of ours of the show uh, did the football show with me. Uh, for a while, uh, he passed away in the Humboldt tragedy, and I'd like to remind folks of uh, Tyler Bieber. Not that uh, not that the players don't count, because they definitely do, but we don't hear about Tyler that much. Uh, I had the pleasure of working with him on our CFL show for a while, and uh, he really loved the game, and he loved sports, and he was uh, an avid, uh, like you, uh, looking forward looking forward to an opportunity to be in broadcasting he was a play-by-play guy for the Humboldt Broncos uh, unfortunately he passed away in the accident uh, thinking about the players as well that were lost in that injury since we're close to that an- anniversary all the horrible memories of the terrible disaster that cut- took young players lives but it's turned into a situation where we've had an opportunity to see what good can come from a horrible experience uh, the lives that have been saved because of donations, body parts, donations by players, families that have gone out of their way in the memory of their children that, that were lost in this tragedy, and the players themselves that are recovering slowly but surely up until just recently, coming out of the hospital, moving forward, the season the team had, they were just eliminated from the playoffs, the community, the healing, all that stuff. It's hard to believe it's only been a year. It seems like much, much more happened. Um, And it also seems that a lot of us uh, are and talk to and have a relationship with. Uh, it's it, my Yeah. I mean, 
when I mean when I heard about the story, you know, I have no personal connection with any of the people that are involved, and um, I, I could only just think about the families of, and as you mentioned, there's you know the equipment manager who I I apologize I can't remember her name at this time, and Tyler and all the people who, you know, you know this isn't exactly they weren't in a professional league where they're getting paid. You know, millions. These are guys that were fighting for just their dream of being a part of a hockey team. And, uh, you know, I, we're constantly reminded by this tragedy. And I, you know, as sad and as, uh, you know, unfortunate and painful as it is, it's just a reminder of, you know, how, how uh, we're fortunate to be in the positions we are because other people have had to deal with so much. And, uh, you know, I think you put it in a great way, Frank, is, you know, we have to remember those people. And it's a great thing that you brought, uh, brought up your friends because I'm sure uh, if, you will, if, you know, in any situation, you'd hope that for the same thing in that regard. David, I was just booted off. Uh, I lost connection. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yep. Well, did you? I guess uh, you lost me when I was talking about Humboldt. I guess. Yeah, I I thought you know you dropped out for a second, so I was uh, talking about it too. So I'm not Good. sorry you missed what I said. Um, yeah, I, and it, I I don't know where it left off, where I left off, but I'll try finishing what I was. Uh, I want to make sure that I get this across. I, I mentioned that Tyler Bieber was on our CFL show, um, and uh, he was in the accident, and he passed away. And I had a chance to witness a, a young man's dream, just like you, and uh, it really hurts to to know somebody that was in that accident. Now, we weren't best buddies by any stretch. Uh, we were acquaintances because of our mutual love for the of the Canadian Football League. And... Uh, it's weird. It's a weird feeling, i got to tell you. But I'm just grateful that a lot of people have been blessed by this misfortune because some of the players gave their organs away. Many of the families, even after the loss of their, their sons, brothers, they have moved forward, and, and on behalf of the memory of, of their children have done great things as well. So I guess the biggest lesson that could be learned, and, and, and I wanted to get this in, is that we respect the road and that we learn something about, you know, being more careful on the road and begin to understand the ramifications of us not being careful on the road and us being careless and what it could do, what it could cause. And the cost is, it's just, you you can't even... I can't even I can't even grasp the loss that that was felt. But as I said, the positive is that these people have, you know, risen and, and and risen above the tragedy to become great people who are giving even though they've had much taken away. And of course, it's great that the team came back, made it in the playoffs. Unfortunately, uh they just uh, were eliminated. But it was fantastic that the community was 
had a chance to rally around the new team and the existence of that team to make sure that the memory of those players follows along with the players who fill those jerseys and will fill those jerseys each and every year. And so I guess what I'll say is my deepest heartfelt sympathies to everybody involved, but I'm very proud. I truly am very proud of how they've all handled it. That's what I wanted to finish saying. I'm glad I finally got it out. Yeah. It's, um, you know, the, I think the good thing about, uh, I mean, unfortunately, the, the unfortunate part of everything is that, you know, this is something that many of the fans will also live with forever. And um, they've, we continue to support them, and I think that's hopefully helping them get by. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's good that we continue to, to at least pay respect to them in any way we can. I'm glad that we were able to talk about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very, very important that we all understand that life, um, you know, it isn't fair. Uh, we all uh, have to deal with with things. We all maybe even don't handle the situation well. But one thing we can't do, once we get our head above water, and take it from me, I have some experience in this, at least once we get our head above water, it is my hope for everybody that we're able to somehow find a way back to being who we were and who we want to be. Because the last thing you want is for life's kick in the pants to affect how you live your life the rest of the way. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, That's the lesson we learned from that experience. Exactly. And that's what you try to do in, in these sort of cases. Just learn from it and and try to move on from uh, it in the best way and try to make something out of it that can help us. Let's take a short break. I, I would like uh, to um, reset uh, and ensure my connection to New York is good. We'll be back right after this. Hello out there, we're on the air, it's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Second period, where players dash with skates of flash, the home team trails behind, but they grab the puck and go bursting up, and they're down across the line. They storm the crease like bumblebees, they travel like a burning flame. We see them slide the puck inside, it's a 1-1 hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Third period, last game in the playoffs, too. Oh, take me where the hockey players face off down the rink. And the Stanley Cup is all filled up for the champs who win the drink. 
Now the final flick of a hockey stick and a one gigantic scream. The puck is in, the home team wins the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Okay, I'm back. Well, reconnecting with New York. Uh, have I got you still, David? You got me. Okay. I hope you didn't have to wait too long. I had to redo everything to make sure that my connection to New York is a little stronger. I, I knew... Uh, it might happen. It does from time to time. This is not a very good time to be on, but that is what it is. So we, we've talked about the Maple Leafs and uh, their previous games. Uh, they lost three of four. They didn't look good in at least three of four. We know they've got a couple of games left, and we do know that those games will be very meaningful, at least to players who haven't played. Or, for example, we talked about Gardner. Great opportunity for him. And the other players who don't play that much who might get a little more ice time than they might get in the playoffs. And, of course, Anderson getting some confidence. Let's talk a little bit about the opposition that the Leafs will be playing, and that is the Boston Bruins. I think it gets pretty tired. You know, how much, can, how much more can we say, David, in as far as the opponent on Thursday when the Leafs start their playoffs on the road? Boston. Well, um, Boston is an interesting case, again, as usual, because I want to say that 
you know, they definitely have the, the star talent with the guys like Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, uh, on the blue line, they have Tara, McAvoy, and their goaltending seems to be pretty okay with Peter Rask and how last if they're not most likely going to be Rask. I'm, I'm just really curious about how the rest of the Bruins will line up. Because we know that the Bergeron line will do its damage. Uh, that's the line that will get the most attention from the least. I'm just curious to see how the rest of the lineup will try to, you know, mesh together. They brought in a couple of guys like a Charlie Coyle and, uh, well, Marcus Johansson, who's injured right now. I'm curious to see how the rest of that lineup will match up to the league because we know that their top line can match up pretty good. Very good. Very good. They will match up more than fine. Uh, they've got, you know, the rodent, who this year has not has not given the impression of being such a rotten guy, Marchand I'm referring to. He hit 100 points. That's pretty amazing, don't you think? I mean, considering I, I wrote, I, I looked this up too because I was writing something for Sportsnet on just Marshawn's 100 point season. The last two years, he's gotten 85. Before that, he barely got six. He got 61, and then in the 50s and 40s. I don't think I've ever seen a player. I mean, Patrice Bergeron is kind of doing it too. With it's almost like a slow ascent, and then out of nowhere, it just shoots up. I mean, for Bergeron, uh, for Marshall, sorry, everyone's saying that playing with Crosby at the World Cup of Hockey was a big breaking out for him because, you know, when you train and practice and play with a guy like that, um, you know, you learn something from it, and it forces you to be better. And then with Boston, you know, they formed that trio, and it just, it just, took off for him. You know, you give the guy credit that he's gone 100 points. And, you know, they th- those three play a pivotal, like, they're the most important players on that team. And, uh, you know, it, it's pretty remarkable, but they're also a team that relies a lot on those three. You know, they get all the perfect opportunities, short-handed, main, you know, even strikes. They're the guys that get leaned on way more than I think even some other teams lean on their star players. If I said to you he's 30 years old, would, would that be a, a number that would take you aback, or does he in your mind fit a 30-year-old player? I thought he was when I when I, I knew he was 30, I originally thought he was about 27. So, I mean, I wasn't terribly off. I know some people probably think he's mid to late 20s, like in my range, but I think some people, if they hear it, just say he's 30, would be taken aback. I mean, he's been in the league for years. You know, he isn't just, it's just that his his stock has shot up so much that people just forget how long he's actually been around in the league for. Ten seasons. He came in nine ten, and I think he was twenty games in that season. So it wasn't like he 
So he, uh, yeah, he. It's been a slow rise, but I mean, right now I don't think Boston is complaining about what they're getting because this is kind of their core. Is other than Boston, actually, Bergeron and Marchand are in that thirty-year range. Charles older and the big guy and the big guy. I mean, the big guy. I think he's going to play until he's sixty at this rate. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, I do know one thing, and, and, and on the subject of the big guy, the one thing he can't handle is being forced to move around. You know, as fit as he is, as fit as fit as he has always been, the one thing he can't handle is being chasing the puck, and and that's the one advantage um, when it comes to getting him off his game that the Leafs can deploy. But the problem is, every other defenseman in their lineup, they're quick. They're fast. They shoot well. So, you know, once you get past their number one defenseman, you got to deal, you got to deal with some really good defensemen. So for me, as far as uh, the age, as you said, uh, of the team, uh, the core of their team, you know, even in net, uh, is, you know, 30-plus. And, you know, winning this year is very important for them because they don't know if they'll get a chance to do it again. And the reason for that, of course, is that there really isn't a guarantee. 50% of the teams now will not make the playoffs. Once Seattle comes in, it's a 50-50 proposition. Don't forget, it used to be 16 out of 24 teams would make the playoffs. It's now 16, it will be 16 for this year, 31. It'll soon be 16 of 32. So, you know, not making the playoffs is not something that is just foisted upon teams that are ineffective or not good. There are a lot of teams that aren't in the playoffs and won't be in the playoffs who were average teams. They were on the cusp of being a good team. So, you know, that's why it's important for these guys to be a lot of pressure. And maybe the Leafs can take advantage of that. There's going to be a lot more pressure on Boston to win than there will be on the Leafs. Additionally, with the way the Leafs have been playing, how many people are going to say, I mean, people are going to be generous and say, well, the Leafs are losing five. The Leafs are losing six. Thinking and knowing it's quite possible if Anderson's not on the ball, if their defense isn't up to snuff, there'll be a lot of people who be saying, Leafs, four straight, see you later. How do you feel about that comment that I just made? <laughs> I mean, I've also heard the Bruins in three comment as well. So, I mean, yeah, the Leafs are not going to get There will be the handful of people that will give the Leafs um, a chance. But we already know that the majority of the people are going to give Boston the edge because – one, people will probably take the home ice advantage as a factor that they think the Leafs are going to struggle in Boston. And, and everyone's going to have those thoughts of last year. It's just the recency bias. You know, the Leafs have not, you know, granted, the Leafs have been blown up by Boston before, and then they pushed them to Game 7 last year. So Since, since January, David... I don't know the statistics. I don't have for you exactly. 
depending on what happens with the last two games, they're going to be hard-pressed to have put together a 500 record going back to January. Is this Boston or Toronto? Toronto. Yeah. Oh, that I know. I mean, the Leafs, when Anderson went down in, in January, that was rough. And then, I mean, this past, what's it, three weeks has been even... And that's what I attribute... That's what I attribute where people are going to say that, that you know, the Bruins might have a, an easy target in the Leafs, you know, if the Bruins play to their ability. And I'm saying this only before the Leaf fans start losing it on me. This is a, this is a, a trap series, in my opinion. This is a series where no matter how you slice it, no matter how you slice it, the Bruins are the favorite. I don't think that, I don't think that can be ignored, and I don't think people can argue that point. And that'll be a good thing for the Leafs. I mean, they're going to go into the series, and they're going to be hearing the whispers, people saying, you guys don't stand a chance. You guys don't got it. You don't have it. So we're going to find out what the Leaf players are made of. Oh, 100%. I mean, right now they know that it's not going to be easy. No series. Really, I think if you look at the playoff structure, no series is going to be easy for any team. Um, but, I mean, the Leafs know that they're not going to be favored. They, 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 you know, you always hear people say, oh, we don't fall, pay attention to what's being said in the media or anything. They know what people are saying about them, 100%. So uh, that's going to be the important factor, I think, in all of this, is can the players dictate themselves what the narrative is going to be rather than have it already predetermined for them? Let's talk about a few other things. We'll come back to that playoff series against the Bruins. So let's get some stuff in. What'd you think of that uh, April Fool's Marner contract date at eleven? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it looked very. If you were a person that, um, I mean, for me, the news itself, I was like, that was a good April Fool's joke. You know, that's one of the ones I expected to happen because people try to go with something that could be believable. In the context itself, you could see that. I mean, people would probably going to say they'd rather get him at a $10 million a year rather than $11 million a year. Um, but I always tell people, I mean, it'll be the verified insiders that will have it first, but the team will also probably get the news out first. So... <laughs> When somebody had told me that, I said, who, said, who told you that he signed? And when they told me, I said, you got you. Because somebody actually believed it. Um, and I said, you know, based on what the agent's comments have been, he might not want an eight-year deal. He may want his clients, may try to get his clients a similar thing to what Matthew's got. Because that's what he thinks he's worth. His client is worth. Do you think maybe... You know, the, the C is up for grabs. It, it's been clearly, clearly put out there by his father in particular that his son's a leader. His son should be considered as a captain. We know Tavares has experience as a captain. We also know that Matthews is the, the guy that, you know, I think the organization expects to lead this team. I think the fans expect him to lead this team. 
the fact that he's the center and he will be the number one center, maybe, uh, as the years go on with Tavares getting a bit older. I mean, Tavares looks like the kind of guy that, you know, age is not going to be that big a factor for him. He's, I think he's more like a Marlowe. You know, I, I can see him being a Marlowe. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, who's the captain of the Leafs? Maybe, you know, the other thing is that Marlowe's in the, sorry, Marner's in that picture. And the other thing is Marner really wants to stay in Toronto. And if he gets a 10-year deal in Toronto at $10 million, honestly, honestly, how could you shake a stick at that? That's $10 million a year for eight years. What person can't be happy with that living, right, and playing in the place they want to be? Let's keep that in mind. And, 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 and I believe the least might be able to get him 8 by 10 Well, I, what I'll say is that, you know, a, a friend of mine suggested that the one thing you try to do with the younger player, um, you try to throw in the total. You always look at the total money, not just the per year. You tell a player, we'll give you eight years and you'll get $80 million. That's $80 million you've, you've never had before. And you know the lease, the signing bonuses, and all that. If you're a player, how hard is that to say no to? It is really hard. You know, you well, especially from a team you want to play for. Exactly. You know, this is this is a team that is willing to give you that money. They want you here. Uh, you, and they know you want to be here. It's not like uh, other situations where you can say, eh, we're not sure if he wants to stay here. Um, I look at you know, it seems like that might not be as desirable. Like, uh, you know, in Arizona, um, the Islanders, the Senators, the Oilers, that have to pay players a little bit more to say, you know, we might not be your first choice, but we're willing to compensate you for that. So we really don't have to compensate based on, they know Martin wants to be here because of, look at all the sponsorships he's getting, just because he's a Maple Leaf. They know that that's something he'll be, you know, be considered. So I, I think you're right on that. That you know they have that, they have that leverage in that regard. That he's born here, he's raised here. This is all he really has ever known. So now, what can they do to make the contract work in their favor a little bit? Absolutely, absolutely. It's something to consider. And 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 it's always as always it's something that that a player can make a choice about. And and Marner, you know, it depends. Like we've talked about this a few times. And when it comes to players signing a contract, I'm really not comfortable when I hear players say, "Well, this is where I want to play," yet they want top dollar. You know, not that players should give a home team discount, but I just don't put much stock in players saying this is where I want to play. But in the case of of Marner, I believe it's true because this is his hometown. I believe it's true also with Tavares. Uh, and I believe it's true because 
Tavares was offered more money in San Jose. At least that's the word. The word is that they were offering him $13 million. So, you know, but some of the other players, like I'm not really sure Matthews is that married to being a Leaf. And how do you doubt that when you find out he signs a five-year contract? So, you know, he's not, he's not committed to being in Toronto long-term. That doesn't mean that he won't be. It just means that he's not at this time. Five years is five years. That's what it is. That's what his time here in Toronto is. And you got to know, you got to know that these guys are human and, and they have needs of their own. They have wants and they have desires of their own. If you're Connor McDavid, don't you wish you had a five-year contract instead of an eight-year contract right now? He only had a one-year contract at this point. Well, uh, like I said, the contract that he signed, he would have signed a five-year instead of an eight-year or whatever. I think it was an eight. He, he didn't get an 11. No, no. He, he signed after that, after the new, the new agreement. I think he has an eight-year too, right? And he's, already, and he's in his fifth year. He is in his, so he's had played three years of his entry level. I believe this is year, this is his second, second year of that contract. Yeah, he's in his fifth year playing, right? So, you know, if, he's, uh, if he had a five-year contract, he'd at least be able to strike the fear of God into the team to put together a decent team. Um, and and this, is the, this is the thing, right? that players also not only want to be happy where they play, they want to be happy when they play, especially when they get off the ice after a game. You know, and every player wants to have a sniff at the Stanley Cup. And Edmonton Oilers had a sniff early, but it seems like the wheels have gone off that that train. And now... You know, I, I you know you could tell by some of the interviews where, where McDavid is very you know frustrated. And who's to say that you know these players with these eight-year contracts in Toronto aren't going to be frustrated down the road? Because there's no guarantee the Leafs are going to make the playoffs every year. There's no guarantee that the Leafs are going to be a contender every year if you consider them a contender this year. I, I don't think they're going into the playoffs any different than they did last year in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, when when you look at a lot of, like, when, when Savoy made his decision, he really had to decide, am I really going to want to spend eight more years with the Islanders after, you know, what he went through in his first, his first eight years? Because I believe he played three and then had a five-year deal. So he played eight seasons there. Do you really want to go through another eight years of that? You know, that's something players really have to think about. And he probably thought Toronto's, you know, the talent that was coming in. Uh, you know, Babcock being there. Uh, he said, you know, I'd rather take the chance of playing eight years, seven years in Toronto versus eight in New York. Just one less year, which means that one less year of that year that he could have gone to eight. He took less than San Jose because he probably thought me to the same thing as San Jose, an older team that, you know, has a limited window, and he probably saw a bigger window here in Toronto. That's something players are trying to decide more so now 
and I think they didn't pass, but they just saw the money and the years and were just like, yo, and they would take it. There's no way that Carlson will be with San Jose next year if San Jose signed Tavares last last year. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, and they wouldn't have a chance to sign Carlson at the end of the year, too. Because that's technically still a possibility, although I think it's less so now with Carlson's injuries this season. But, yeah, there's many factors. <laughs> Even. There's many factors that, that play into it. People just think it's the money in the years. There's a lot of factors that some people don't really consider it and all of that. And now what we've learned with the, the contracts that these league players have signed, all this money up front, which is a new deal, which, you know, is something the rest of the teams, you know, many of them can't afford to do. So they'll probably have to pay more money on a yearly basis because to compare apples with apples, you know, you, you, you know, you've got, you've got, um, you know, a, a kid like Nylander, uh, who basically has, will have most of his contract July, 2019 in his pocket. So, you know, that changes, that gives the teams with money an edge that they lost, uh, you know, with, with the cap. Wonder yeah. if that loophole will be closed. Well, that's the thing. The next CBA, that could be um, something that teams will try to... Because the NHL is all about balance and trying to make a level playing field. And that's going to be something I think uh, some teams will fight for and say, look, we don't want Toronto. San Jose is a wealthy team to New York. Um, Rangers. Chicago, yeah, L.A. Chicago, L.A., I'm just trying to think of teams that have signed similar deals. Winnipeg isn't. Calgary uh, isn't. Uh, Montreal's a little tough. Montreal's a little tough because of the tax situation. Uh, mind you, those yeah. players, I guess, skirt that. But Exactly. Um, and, you know, there's, there's teams that can definitely do it more so than others. Uh, and I think the NHL is going to look to, to change that because they don't want to get the whole point of having the salary cap was to take that advantage away from the high spending teams. So I doubt they're going to want that this to stick around. No, you know, it's all about the majority, right? Whatever the majority says. says. As, as long as, as uh, the top six teams or seven teams, or even if you say the top eight teams, compared to the bottom 22, if there's a a, a definite financial level of power that drops from team nine to team 31 and 32 in the future. You know, I mean, you can put Las Vegas in there as one of the richer teams. You know, they, they have, you know, they have really been fortunate because of, you know, their tax situation there, um, the reputation that they built, you know, where they are a place to be, they are a place to play, and they have the lifestyle that uh, a lot of hockey players don't mind. Step off the ice into the hot sand. No, I, I agree. I think players are starting to realize, realize that more that I, mean, I look at other, other sports and how players make the decision when it comes to contracts, and 
you know, hockey players, I think, for years have tried to turn away from, you know, they want to be the different than other athletes. But, you know, we're starting to see certain players kind of lead a charge in a different direction. It, you know, you never want an, a league to be considered, you know, the same dull, boring, or just, you know, on the straight and narrow. And I think you just start seeing that more so with these contracts going forward. Absolutely. All right. So uh, contracts, uh, players, many of the players in the league, you know, they're not playing for money in the playoffs. So you could play up to 28 games, and it's not worth any money to you. You know, essentially, the players are playing for free now. You know, once the season ends, they're all playing for free. This is when that extra money the players get, that they get a chance to earn it as opposed to earn more money. But the fact is the players that don't have a contract and are in a position to prove they earn the contract can now start to earn that contract and show their value. You know, that that's something that Marner is gambling on, for example, sticking with Marner, that he feels, he must feel, that he feels that he can look really good in the playoffs. And if he does, it's going to cement his value in July or June. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I actually really think that's what the agent's trying to do. Because, I mean, we remember Marner had a good playoff game lost him last year. And if he does that again, then the agent could, could use that as leverage and can steal. And then I look at um, the guys who are signed going into next year, like Ron Haynes, uh, the guys on the uh, like Johnson and Kaepernick. This is where you earn your money is in the playoffs because that's what when it matters most for these teams. And you know, it's important. It's important for a player to establish his value. And I don't think there's a time of the year more than the playoffs that establishes a player's value. You know, a lot of the players that are getting a lot of money right now, it's because of what they've done. You look in Chicago, you look in L.A., you look in Pittsburgh. Eh, Pittsburgh, not so much, Frank. You look in those cities, and not so much Washington, because those those cities, the players were being played paid before the playoffs, whereas with Chicago and L.A., the pay train came in after they won the Cups. And needless to say, the pay trains were full of gold for these players to take home. The playoffs are matter. From the Leaf perspective, the playoffs matter because you've got players who are going to sign contracts, a couple, we talk about Marner, you know, there's a few others. Janssen, Kapanen, you know, these guys, they're uh, restricted free agents. You know, Ennis for a contract next year. So the playoffs are very important. Uh, we're, we're going to see how important and how successful they can be in showing their importance, these individuals. What do you see as the Leaf players that that may, some suggest, 
that may be key factors in the playoffs. Many feel that Brown is one of those guys. His size, his speed, and his ability to be a dedicated player may make him uh, a game changer in the playoffs. What do you think? Or is there another player on the Leaf team that you're looking, looking ahead to see that maybe will create, you know, uh, a real sense of wow factor in the playoffs that doesn't have it right now. I mean, we expect it from Matthews. We expect it from Marner. We expect it even from a guy. Well, people are kind of hoping that Nazem Kadri comes, comes through that way. He just touched the player out of my, out of my mouth. Nazem Kadri was that player. For- <laughs> I mean, when I, when I look at uh, Kadri's play, you can tell he's not. I mean, he's he's there. He's playing. He's giving an effort. But something is missing. And I'm just wondering if, uh, you know, is he waiting for the playoffs to really have that breakout? Because yeah, he's the guy I'm hoping that can take his game to the level it needs to be. And I'll t- I'll take it a step further and help you out here because I know where you're going and, and I'm going to, I sense of where you could go. And, and this is what I think. Um, he needs a challenge. If we haven't learned anything else from when Babcock arrived here in Toronto, the one thing Babcock did to enhance Nazem Kadri's play was to feed him a challenge. But the problem is since Tavares came here, the challenge that Kadri had went to Tavares. You know, Tavares is playing against all the top lines, all the best, you know, the best players. Kind of taking away what turned into a real nice, comfortable position for Nazem Kadri. And we all knew this. Everyone knew that this was a possibility because, you know, Kadri was playing big minutes because he was ghosting the players on the other teams with big minutes. And this playoff season, where you're going to be playing against the team, you know, the teams that are in the playoffs, they're not two-line trick ponies. All the teams, like we said earlier, like I said earlier, 50% of the teams don't make the playoffs, almost, minus one. So, you know, these are more than average teams that you're playing against. And for them to make the playoffs, these teams have three lines and a fourth line, too, for the most part. In fact, they really do. If you don't have four lines, you're not playing in the playoffs right now. And, and you've got to have that kind of balance. And because of that balance, Kadri can become a real good factor, you know, as the third-line center for the Leafs. And I think if somehow he wakes up and says, my challenge is to take the team and throw them on my shoulder, and I can do it. He doesn't have to do it strictly with being, you know, that pest not saying he can't be and he shouldn't be. I'm, I'm saying that, doesn't, that he doesn't have to be limited to that. He doesn't have to be limited to being a great defensive player, a very responsible player. I think he has more scoring in him, David, and that's what I'm hoping for the Leafs, and I think they're hoping, too, that he establishes in the playoffs this year. Yeah, that, that's, that was the part I was going to get to is that I mean, defensively, I haven't seen a drop in Kadri's game. I think he's been fine defensively. It's 
the offensive game. We've seen it. He had that uh he had that big performance against the Capitals. Uh when he was it was him, Nylander, and I think it was him, Nylander, and Marlowe. Yep. Or Brown, one of those two. No, um Marlowe. Oh no, it was Brown. That you're talking about when when uh, the sh- the shift happened, when the injury happened, they juggled things a little bit and Brown moved up. Exactly. So that's what I'm I'm hoping to see is that he decides you know, playoff time. And we've seen, as you mentioned, we've seen it before. I've seen him play, you know, that style both both ways in the past. Um, I think part of it will also do with, you know, his line mates kind of picking it up a bit more too. I look at, you know, Connor Brown had a nice goal against Ottawa. Really nice shot. Like, you know, people, Fireball's an interesting one because I think a lot of his issues this season have been mental. I think, you know, he's been juggled up and down the lineup so much that he just hasn't had that comfort in his game. And then, mm-hmm. you know, he scored, he's, he's started to put up the points recently. I just want to see if he can do it now. More, a little more consistently. We're, I mean, we're not asking him to get a point per game. But we're just saying that, you know, when he gets that chance, don't miss. You know, there was open net. There were shots that he just, you know, really whiffed on. You know, that's, that's what um, that's what we want to see from a guy like Brown, Hodry, those lords here, guys. When you get your opportunity, don't miss. Absolutely. And the opportunities are going to be there for, for Kadri. The, the, the next thing that a lot of people, of course, I mean, we're not, I'm not going to raise an issue that's new. Uh, the question about the Leaf defense. We know the top six defensemen, if healthy, you know, that's assuming Gardner's back in the pack. Should there be a requirement for somebody to move up? We've seen Marinson and we've seen Hall. And now we've seen Rosen. Do you think those are three guys that they can plug in if something happens? Have you seen enough to believe that they can handle playoff hockey, David? Uh, I mean, I I like to say um, I I think Rosen more so because, you know, I mean, I, I knew Rosen when she was playing with the Marlies. And, you know, he was big in that playoff. You know, I know people are saying the whole spark situation, you know, we can't translate that to the NHL. Uh, But this is a guy that I think has really found his game. And I think you can plug a guy like him in because I think his style suits the NHL game a bit more than what the least style is as well. Uh, The other two, like if I... You know, they need to prove that when when their pressure and the pressure is on, that they're not going to, you know, get all uh, flustered and make a bad decision. We've seen it from Marinson. He's a guy that I'm just, I'm not comfortable with because I feel like he is, uh, his game is not a quick puck moving style or, you know, he may, he's, he's just, his quick decision is not the best decision. 
I don't think the IQ is there. So I, I, I do trust Rosen. Hall is, Hall is not too bad um, if he's not being asked to do too much. Hall's the guy that scored two goals in his first two games. But I think that wasn't exactly his style. But he could be. Right-handed shot, mm-hmm. you know, he has that advantage over the other two. But they, they, the Leaf organization, it's become clear you know, Kali is the guy that they that, that they want. Kali Rosen is the guy that they want and expect to jump in there, really, to take over. Well, let's face it. I mean, you know, Jake is uh, Gardner. This is it for him. Many are predicting he'll be gone. You know, at least won't be able to afford him. So this is an opportunity to see, you know, if Callie Rosen has it, you know, and, and, and that's going to be the big question. The the other thing when you talk about Marinson, uh, Marinson is somebody that, that Babcock likes defensively. He likes his long reach. You know, he likes him on defense. But as you say, I agree with you, Marinson, he, he's shown signs where he can make that quick first pass but he hasn't been really good at it consistently. I agree with you 100%. And in regards to Hall, he scored two goals in his first game, first two games as a Leaf. Um, hasn't scored since. Um, can move pretty good. But really, I don't know if the Leafs will be able to live without the physicality that Muzzin brings. That, you know, Dermot tries, but Dermot's not a big guy. You know, Dermott's very good at being a positional defenseman. He, he he knows, you know, and is able to get in front of players and block them that way and defend that way. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, these three guys are good enough to handle if one of the defensemen go down or if Gardner can't can't do it. Because, you know, I, I also can see, and, and this is the part that, many Leaf fans are going to have to consider. And that is that the Leafs may not go with four lines. They may go with 11 and 7. 11 forwards, 7 defensemen. Because, depending what happens in these two games with Gardner, they may very well have to rely on a 7th defenseman. Now, that means also, and I'll carry on with this part of the point, but I'll ask you about the 7 defenseman theory. It means there'll be an extra shift or so. It won't be double shifting, but it'll be extra shift for another player, another four. How do you feel about the defense, David, in that regard? Uh, well, in my opinion, like, you know, I, uh, I see the, I see where people are. I've heard that idea about the seven defensemen. I'm just not sure you want to leave your forwards in that re- I mean, their forwards can pick up the slack, I think, with the minutes. I really do think they can do that. But uh, I'm just not sure what the uh, what the what Babcock really wants to do in that regard. Uh, that, that's something I'm, I'm not too sure about. But what I will say is that I think the team can uh, 
I think the team is going to use these next few games to really see that. Can they really handle uh, not having a guy like uh, Garner at 100%? Because if he's not 100%, what's the point? You know, if he's not playing at his best, you're just not putting yourself in the position to be successful. Nylander, another offside goal because of him. Last time it was Matthews being denied a goal. This time it was he himself being denied a goal. Is that just a play that happens, or is that a sign of maybe, I'm going to say, of what's wrong with Nylander, and that is that he is not a very committed player. To do, to do what needs to be done, to be an honest hockey player. He's not an honest hockey player. That's what that says to me. Uh, you know, it's it really tough because a situation like that really does annoy me. You know, it, 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 you, you know, when goals are so hard to come by and when your team is really struggling, like the Leafs have had their struggles. And himself? too, And himself, like not scoring. You don't want to see that. But what I will say is that um, I think that that's a conversation the coach has to have with the player. Your coach has to tell him, look, if the play is close, really think about, you know, really think about the situation. But that's the problem. But that's the problem, Dave. The coach shouldn't have to tell him that. You know, the coach shouldn't have to tell him, uh, by the way, can you stay on side? I mean, really? Really? You're going to have to you're going to have to explain to a player that he needs to be on side, a player who repeatedly, and we can use the term repeatedly, is offside and counts as, counts uh, you know, against his team as far as goals are concerned. In a circumstance that's inexcusable that he's by himself at the blue line. We see lots of offsides, but the offsides, the majority of the offsides are the ones where you see bodies crisscrossing the blue line. You know, you see more than four four bodies crossing the blue line, and, 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 you know, line of sight isn't there, that kind of thing, right? But this was a glaring example of his lack of commitment. And, 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 and you can talk to him all you want, but it isn't going to do any good because this isn't about talking. This is about understanding the game. And we're talking the basics of the game. This is not a nuance of the game. This is a basic of the game. Being onside. My goodness. But, yeah, go ahead and defend him. But I'm having a hard time. Um, and I apologize. Yeah, I'm, I'm, having a hard, I'm, I'm having a hard time listening to any defense. You know, I, I, I just, I, I saw that and I threw my hands in the air and go, well, there it is. It's, it's what I thought about this guy. This is the thing that worries me about him, that he's, you know, uh, He's just a guy who's there to play, and he wants to look good, and 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 that's all that matters. The team doesn't. Well, I mean, I think we're we're look. I, it, as I said, it's it's not. It shouldn't happen. I mean, really, it's hard to say that. You can't say, oh, you know, it's it's you know, it happens. It shouldn't happen. I do get that. I mean, look. He's not the only player that I've seen this high goal, and more than one goal called off to the offside. I've seen it. I just think because of his situation, 
it, it, it magnifies. I think sometimes we get into magnifying it. Um, mm-hmm. If it happens in the playoffs, I think we're full right to really get upset about it. Like if it happens it, again, I think playoffs, it's enough to be said. If it happens again, David, uh, I'm just gonna. I'm, I'm not even gonna say anything other than you know. There you go. That's who he is. That's who you're signing for seven point nine. That's your seven point nine commitment. Six, not seven point nine. Oh, six. Oh, six point nine. My bad. <laughs> Sorry, but no, I, I get it though. You know. I really do get that, you know, you don't want to see that from a guy that if you expect to have a better sense, better hockey sense than that. It's really a hockey sense, right? Knowing what dude, if it, if it was the class, dude, if it was the classroom when I was going to school when I was young, he would have been sitting in the corner with the dunce cap. Don't kid yourself. That was a dunce sure. cap move. That was a Actually, dunce what, cap move. What would have really sent the message is if he died sat on the bench for a couple of shifts. Uh, well, imagine it. how the players feel. Imagine imagine how the players feel when that happens. You know, and, and, and that kind of commitment, that lack of commitment, isn't the kind of commitment that's going to get them into round two. They need more than that. I mean, I, I just don't want to go down that line to really... No, no, because then we're just... You can because we're you can go, you can go down your road. I, I, I appreciate your yeah. kindness and your forgiveness, and I and I appreciate your pointing out that you know it happens, right? It just happened to Nylander this time. I get that, and I'm okay with you saying that. But I'm I got this I got this little I got this little rock on my shoulder, this chip on my shoulder, because winning teams don't have players like that on their team. Winning teams just don't have players on their team like that. Those kind of mistakes aren't made by teams that win. Those are the kinds of mistakes that are made by teams that lose. Those are those are, you know, hockey one oh one mistakes. If you if you can't figure out hockey one oh one, I don't know how he's gonna figure out stuff like working hard in the corner. You know, uh, but I already know the answer to that. I've watched him play and I'm disappointed in him. I'm disappointed in him. And and it's not just about the offside. The offside is just a it's just basically an example of what's wrong with him as a hockey player when it comes to being a champion. He's not championship material. He just isn't. Hopefully he will be. You know, he gets a chance here. I I'm not suggesting to to go down the road that you're talking about. This isn't something that that he's committed to. You know, he, he he's not he's not done for. He's he's a young player. He can learn, but he can't do that again, David. He just can't. I I was just about to say. I mean, that's the one thing he has. You know, he is. This is only his fourth season in the league. I mean, at this point, if it happens again, yeah, then that just proves he's not willing to learn. And I, then that really does deserve a full out blasting. I mean, the coach could even want blasting it since he has. And we know that. But, yeah, I, that's what I think is that if it happens again, you know, you, this is a conversation the coach, and maybe the coach goes to the gym and says, look, it's happened three times in a season. He, we don't think he's learned from it. And I think that's where you have to make that decision. That I think, you know, yes, he's still young in that, you know, if Patrick Marlowe did it three times in a season, 
we say that it's unacceptable for his level because he should know for his 20 years of experience in the league that that can't happen. Did you, let me uh, let me let me cool. let me run this by, by you. Did you see Tavares talking to him on the bench? I didn't, but um, I would did. assume like he, then he's a guy Tavares, that. Tavares did a did a he was talking for like thirty forty seconds straight, and he had his glove over his face. You understand, masking what he was saying. Uh-huh. In my opinion, he was reading him the riot act because a committed player like Tavares, this is the angle where I'm looking at. You know, a committed. Uh, forget about you and I. How does that look for his teammate? Well, it doesn't. It does. You know, but that's I, well, something I would expect Tavares to do. That is, he exactly. feels that's someone leadership. needs to speak. Yeah, that's that's what he's been. Like you know, Tavares brings the the goal scoring, the offensive touch. But that's another thing he brings. He brings the the leadership aspect of it as well. You know, and what and he does. A, what he does exemplifies what we're talking about. You know, yeah. he doesn't just he doesn't just talk about being a good player, a committed player. He is a committed player. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's beyond Babcock. That situation is beyond Babcock. That's a, that's a commitment thing. That's that's motivation time. And that's the players have to. That's really where, where guys like Nylander have to be controlled or affected by his peers on on the team. Yeah, and you know, sometimes coaches, and I, I think you're right in this regard that coaches would rather the players uh, police themselves in these situations. Um. I'm hoping, I mean, Tavares is a guy that I would expect that because you can tell he has the command and respect of the room. When I hear about players talking about his preparation and the way he carries himself, I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, if you're a Nylander, if, he, if Tavares is telling you, to do, telling you something or giving you advice, you know, that's something that you take as like, as like a freak from, uh, from like Jesus in my regard. Yeah, that's why, you know, what what gave me put wind under my sails on my rant was watching Tavares. You know, I've never seen Tavares speak with his glove over his mouth, lean down, getting as close to Nylander's ear as he could, and in all likelihood, probably one of the most serious conversations that Tavares has had on the bench with any player, I would suggest, and think. And that, to me, is is leadership. Now, what we find out is, we, we're going to, we will be seeing if anything like that happens again. And the problem is, his dad played on a lot of teams. His dad wasn't a very team-oriented player. You know, it, and, and I don't want to I don't want to use the word selfish, but but in essence, he wasn't a team player, and he he moved around, and there is a reason why he moved around, and went to a lot of teams. 
it is my hope that I'm, it's my hope that his father wants better for his son. And, and having seen what happened and hope he, hopefully he saw it and he does what a dad should do. And that is want better for his son. And he will get jettisoned. That's the kind of stuff that causes teams to trade players. That is the kind of stuff. Because that's, uh, that's the kind of stuff that affects the other players. And you don't want that distraction in your dressing room, on your bench, and especially on the ice. And it's serious. I hope people don't think I'm making a big deal out of nothing. I may be making a bigger deal than it should be, maybe. But it's not nothing. This is something that this this cuts at the at the root of what it takes. What's the difference between being a winner and and a loser? It, it is the difference. It's the players that are willing to go that extra mile that are the ones that end up drinking out of the cup, not the ones who are looking for a shortcut. <laughs> They're not the ones that drink out of the cup. <laughs> and, but that's and, also why you have a guy like Tavares leading the way in that regard. Absolutely. The Leafs are lucky to have him, and, 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 and hopefully the other players pick up on that and support Tavares in his statement, starting with, especially from Matthews, you know, who, who knows full well they needed that goal. You know, that goal would have made a difference in that game, don't you think? I think so. There's, there's starting to be said that when your team is struggling offensively and it gets a goal, you know, in that, you know, like that, it, it lifts your team up, especially when your team – and Carolina doesn't give up goals very easily, too. So, yeah, I agree that a goal like that in that situation would have helped the lead that point. That's all. You know, having said all this, I want to make this abundantly clear. That's how I feel about Nylander right now. But that doesn't mean I think he's going to be like that forever. But I am saying he needs to change. He needs to grow up in a hurry, in a giant hurry. He has to grow up. Unfortunately, you know, maybe I'm being unfair because I should realize how old he is. Problem is, he took that excuse, that explanation away from me and my mind by virtue of what he felt he was worth. That's where the problem of being young today is. There's no time for patience with young players today. Look at Strom. You know what I mean? Traded twice. It looks like he finally found a home. You you know what I mean? Yeah, and I feel like there's some teams that uh, Edmonton is one of them that just doesn't know how to manage young players like that, you know, they, they feel Better like, yeah, yeah, you know, they feel like players need to assimilate right away to the culture, but it's like, what are you doing to make sure the player is able to get to that point? Absolutely. It's what has to happen. We all have and need desperately to have each other's backs. If we're a team, just like you and I, you know, um, we can make mistakes. But they can never be the mistakes of not trying. Those kinds of mistakes, you know, they don't, they don't work because we have to leave room. Our mistakes have to be good ones because there's not much room for many mistakes, David. That's all, that's all I'm trying to say, right? That, that, it, 
we'll drop this subject. The kid made a mistake. Let's hope that he's made it before. He's made it again. Hopefully there isn't a third time. Because three goals over a season is a lot more than you think. No, I no, I agree. I, no, I, I, I don't all. disagree on that. You know, I don't disagree on that at all. I know you don't. I know you don't. I'm just being a little harsh. You're, you're, you're the nice guy in this case, and you'll probably usually be the nice guy. And then because of that, by virtue of you being the nice guy, that leaves me with the other, the other characteristic required sometimes in these kinds of talk shows. So having said that, I repeat for the last time, I'm not saying that he's, he's trash and we should get, he should be gotten rid of and never be seen again. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that if he wants to earn the respect of his teammates, you know, it's not about how much you, how, it's not about how much you get paid. It's about how much you do and how important you are to the team and how much respect you have for the rest of the players. But if all you care about is how much you make, then, you know, you're not going to be part of a championship team. And it's my hope he won't be a part of this organization if that's the case. But I'm not sure that, that he's there yet, you know, that, that he's a lost cause. I'm, I'm not suggesting he's a lost cause at all. No, I man, he's got he one did. foot over the fence. <laughs> No, and I, I agree. I mean, I, I find like people were like that with uh, with Phil Kessel. You know, they were. That was a mistake. To, I was totally was. against the way he was traded. I thought that was the one of the worst moves the Leafs could have made. And then on top of that, pay part of his contract. I thought Phil Kessel, and, and here's here's the thing, you know, Phil Kessel. The the problem with him was you may or may not remember, you may or may not have noticed. But this is the kind of stuff that I noticed. Ram, uh, Van Riemsdyk made a play where, where Van Riemsdyk took it a little easy, right? And, and Kessel was on the move, and he expected a pass to be faster, crisper, and more on time. And Van Riemsdyk's pass wasn't. Kessel tore a strip off him on the ice, on the ice, went to the bench, and he was ticked. Now, that's the first time I saw in Phil Kessel how important winning is or was at that time. And then I saw it again both seasons they won the cup in Pittsburgh. You know how him and Malkin hammer and tong, baby. But that's because it was that important to win. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like... um... I remember how much Phil Kessel was being, uh, not sports, but he was being brought up for the way he was talking to Malkin. And this is a guy that knows that his time to win was closing. You know, he wasn't getting any younger. You know, the expectation was that he was going to come in and help the Penguins continue their run. And I think that, you know, he wanted to change the narrative that was set about him in Toronto by some of the you know, the media that were uh, very hard on his case. You know how hard they were on his case. Cause one, I think he was just misunderstood. I'm going to say this. He was misunderstood. Yeah. I, I agree. One of the best players to play for the Leafs in the past 20 years. Without question, in my mind. He's up but he got, a bad, sure. he, got a, he got a bad rap 
And he took a lot of heat and a lot of abuse. I still don't forgive the hockey news for calling him a cancer. Coach killer. My gosh. All yeah. on his own? Wow, that was harsh. He took a lot of well, he took a lot of grief. He took a lot of crap that I wish, you know, people you know, it's funny that when guys ask things like that, they don't you know, he'll he'll go after them and he's put a in as the villain. I would just like yep. to see how the reporter feels now after seeing, you know, the coach killer win two cups in two in back to back years. How mm-hmm. they feel about that. And he wasn't the passenger either. No, he wasn't. He was. He, he, he could have won. He could have won. Best player in the playoffs, the first year. I think it was the first year. Was it the second that they won? Well, uh, I would say it's he probably came close. The, the first year, I, I think. Probably, well, the, the first year they won. Yeah, they no, no, I'm saying. But oh, I think the, the first the year they won the cup. Kessel, yeah, Kessel was what leading the team in scoring. But Crosby won it. Yeah, he was one of the leaders. No, and and you know what? I think it had more to do with people just had that that thought of how important Malkin and Crosby are on the team. That Kessel, I don't think, got the respect he deserved in that situation. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. But you know, it's something about Kessel that that I guess it's his it's his demeanor, and then it's his body type that people kind of go, you're not a hockey player. Like, that guy that guy does not look like the way he can skate. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't... To me, when you, when you see that guy in street clothes, you go, nah, he's not a hockey player. He's a hockey player? Like, what the heck? You know, and, and, and he comes into camp a little overweight. But Friggy can move. But he can move. Unbelievable. He's just different. You know, and I don't think people can handle different very easily. Look at how he's humiliated at the All-Star game. Yeah. And, you know, and people have, and such in Toronto, you know, we, we've had players like Sundin, Gilmore, Clark, you know, those type of players. And then you get a player like Kessel who's not like them at all. And people, people have this thought of how the perfect player, how a player should be. And he got a bad rap because he wasn't like those players. Exactly. He just didn't fit the model. You know, he didn't fit the type. Didn't look the type. Didn't sound the type. You know, he, he just wasn't the kind of guy that, you know, that, that could get the kind of respect that he deserved. And that's too bad. It really is. It's too bad. And I'm, I'm happy for him that he won the cup. Uh, when they traded him, that's what, the first thing I said. He's going to win the cup before the Leafs do. I didn't think I, I wasn't sure twice, but I knew he was for sure. Because that's all Crosby needed. I mean, my goodness, Crosby, Malkin, Kessel, then whatever else you can dig up. Yeah, it's uh, Kessel. Yeah, they, they you know the, the Leafs can can do that kind of thing, but all the success that all the teams had that have won cups to conclude the show have to do with wanting it. And that's the last thing I'm going to say and let you comment on that and go on as long as you want. No, wanting and, it. And we see that in any sport. The guys who have a certain reaction when they finally win, it's just 
proved that, you know, how much they wanted it. It wasn't, you know, that was what they really wanted. Really, that's, especially um, in football, you know, players to, you know, put their, uh, you know, put themselves in a situation, you know, that some of them have to go through some uh, big challenges, big hurdles. And in the end, because they want to win so badly, it that's that's the reward for them. Absolutely. Well, David, thanks a lot. We went a little over. For those of you that have uh, followed us, joined us, thanks for tuning in. Hope to uh, have you come along uh, next week. Hopefully, next week we'll be able to do it on Tuesday. We thank for those. Thank you, those uh, who were patient enough to wait till Wednesday. And thank you, David, for making the time to be on the program, as usual. Always a good partner. I try to be. He's David Morris Duty. I'm Candid Frank. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Until next week, this has been Leaf Talk. Candid Frank Live. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.